1: Welcome to P.I.'s Declassified, an inside look at the world of private investigators. Your host is Francie Kaler, a noted private investigator. Francie and her guests take you behind the scenes and into the genuine, sometimes gritty business of investigation. You'll hear stories from the trenches with plenty of surprises. Here's your host, Francie Kaler. Privacy
2: versus online data providers. Is there a balance? Is it possible to create achieve a balance between privacy and open records available through online data providers? We all value our privacy. Don't you want to have all of your personal identifying details kept private? I do. At the same time, don't you want to be able to obtain information about another if you need it for some kind of a legal action, to collect a debt, to find your birth family or maybe the child you put up for adoption? What if you were involved in a custody dispute and your spouse abducted your child? Wouldn't you want to be able to locate that person? What if that person had a common name like John Brown or John Smith? Well, it's complicated. I have great respect for my guests today who are here to address these dicey questions. Let me introduce you to privacy advocate Beth Givens, founder and director of Privacy Rights Clearinghouse, to co-owner and publisher of PI Magazine, Jimmy Messis, and to Rebecca Roberts, national marketing director for RB RB Search, a subscriber-based online data provider will be joining us for this provocative discussion. So grab your coffee, sit back, and relax. Good morning, Beth, Jimmy, and Rebecca. Good morning. Hello, and thank you. Good morning. Thank you for being with me today. First, we're going to talk to Beth Givens. Beth is the founder and director of the Privacy Rights Clearinghouse, a nonprofit consumer information and advocacy program located in San Diego, California. Beth and the PRC, as she calls it, represent the interests of consumers in the California legislature, the Federal Trade Commission, and Congress, and has participated in many public task forces in the state and federal levels and is often interviewed by the media. Following getting her master's degree from the University of Southern California Annenberg School for Communication and obtaining, in addition to that, another master's degree in library and information services from the University of Denver, She was a librarian specializing in network development and resource sharing. In 1992, Beth then founded PRC and started down the path of consumer privacy. Since then, she's developed the PRC Fact sheet series and contributed the entries on identity theft for three encyclopedias. She's a member of the International Association of Privacy Professionals. And Beth and I are often on opposite sides of an issue when it comes to privacy because we both... Often testify in the California State Legislator, Legislature, but there's also many areas where we agree. Beth, how did you
3: come to launch PRC? Well, it's kind of a long story, so I'll, I'll sort of uh, give you the short version. Um, in the early 90s, and it, but it's, it's related to California being kind of on the cutting edge of public policy in a lot of areas, but in the early 90s, there was a state-funded grant program um, that nonprofits were invited to submit applications to, and, and I was brainstorming with some of my colleagues uh, at that time at the University of San Diego School of Law, although I'm, I'm, I'm not a lawyer. I, I That's where we got our start. And one of the individuals there said, and this is in 1991, actually, he said, you know, I think the next up-and-coming big... Big consumer issue is going to be privacy. So he he was rather ahead of his time, I think.
2: Well, wow, that was um, pathetic.
3: <laughs> I know it. That, yeah, that you know, pre-internet. Wow. Um So uh, we actually uh, applied to form a um, consumer education program just for California using an 800 number, and uh, we got funded. And and when we started, uh, our the phone, believe it or not, rang off the hook. And we used law students to. Um, Uh, to do our research, to write uh, at least those first few guides, and um, take phone calls from the public. Right out of the gate, you started. That's how we got started. Right out of the gate, you started getting calls. Yes, it was was actually amazing. And and believe it or not, back then, the big issues were junk mail and telemarketing, Hmm. um, and soon became identity theft, which was our signature issue for many years. And, of course, now it's moved on to things like Internet privacy and the topic of this show, um, online information brokers, which is al- almost always in our top five in terms of complaints. Well, before we get into the issue of online data providers, can you tell me what the PRC
2: fact sheet series is?
3: Yeah, um, we have over 50, uh, 50 guides on just real practical information. That's kind of our stock in trade, giving very practical tips on what to do to protect your privacy. Uh, We are guided by a definition of privacy regarding control, the ability of the individual to control what is done with their personal information. So these guides, uh, I mentioned already junk mail and telemarketing, but we we do get into employment background checks, which is also always in our top five um uh, what are your rights in that area um wireless uh communications is another area medical medical privacy is another government records and your privacy uh which actually relates to today's topic um uh harassing phone calls uh cellular phone calls and harassment that's believe it or not always in our top 5 as well hmm. so uh we we cover these and more issues uh, and these guides are are on our website they're they're actually quite extensive uh, usually, ten pages or more each, uh, with lots of links to resources, and, um, and and actually, we we've got you know quite a healthy uh, web web traffic.
2: You do have a a wonderful website and and lots of resources for consumers. And at the end of the show, I'll be giving the website uh, in case our listeners would be interested in going to that site and checking it out. I appreciate that, Beth. You you have done a lot of work. Oh, thank you. Um, so how did PRC become interested in the issue of data brokers?
3: Well, you know, it started with, uh, well, actually it started a little bit before the Choice Point data breach of, of February '05. but I think it's that, that Choice Point breach um, really uh, raised awareness uh, among the public of of the whole industry of information brokers. Before then, I think it was kind of a, oh, uh an invisible industry to many, but we actually had a staff member who, even before then, uh, started doing research and um, and we posted information on, on the information brokers that we could identify on our website. We now have a list of about a hundred data brokers, and and we we don't think it's a complete list at all. Um, and of course, they data brokers come in different flavors. I mean, one is. The, the free information that we call it directory information, just basic, you know, name, address, phone number, and mm-hmm. then the, the step above that are, are the fee-based information brokers that get into to richer profiles, and I know this is nothing new to, to the other guests, but primarily information from public records and publicly available uh, sources. And then a third category that's just emerging now, we're, we're calling them the aggregators, and they do all of the above, plus uh, adding social media and and other sources that that they find. There are just a a handful of those. um, But uh, those those are the three categories of information brokers that we've uh, identified. And um, would you explain, Beth, what the
2: ChoicePoint breach was? Yeah.
3: um, ChoicePoint is one of the larger... Um, data brokers. It's it's since been purchased by LexisNexis, uh, but back in February 2005, it became public that a um, well, an international crime ring, uh, it, it it based in Los Angeles, uh, but I think associated with I believe it was the, the Nigerian crime rings, um, established a fraudulent. Uh, subscription or, or customer relationship with ChoicePoint and basically they, they said, you know, they were a, a legitimate business. They gained access to the rich profiles of ChoicePoint and then went on to use that information to, uh, you know, to sell it to, to other criminals who then committed identity theft. They think about maybe 5,000 or so cases of identity theft resulted. But they, they were able to gain access to, I think, 163,000 or so of these profiles. And that was a real eye-opener for people, you know, what, mm-hmm. uh, there's such an industry as information brokers, what, all this information is available, and oh my sure. goodness, uh, I could be a victim of identity theft because of that. So uh, uh that, that was really the the launch of, of significant um, awareness and, and interest in this industry. And, and by the way, that's also when we started our list of data breaches on our website, and, and we have quite an extensive list of, of breaches. Um, uh, by the way, the Choice Point breach was followed closely by uh, another breach uh, of, of an information broker, and that was a LexisNexis breach. So right off the bat, uh, information brokers were, were getting some, some bad publicity. Mm-hmm. And were those people prosecuted, Beth? Yes, I believe they were. Um, and uh, I'm afraid I'd, I can't remember the details, but yes, I believe they were. Okay,
2: so at least there were laws in place to handle... The people that that violated others' identity. Oh, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, what kind of complaints do your does PRC get about
3: data providers? Well, you know, a, a common complaint is that they just plain exist. Um, you know, how how can these companies exist? I have no, and I'm I'm paraphrasing what people tell us. They'll mm-hmm. say, "I have no direct relationship with with these companies. How they can they gather this information, give it away, and sell it?" Um, uh, another type of complaint are the specific ones, and I'll just give you a, a, a few brief details. Uh, one woman, a police officer, said she's on gang detail. And, uh, you know, it, you can imagine being a police officer in, in such a sensitive area. Um, sure. Actually, all police officers are, are 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 quite interested in protecting their their home um, home address. But this one was particularly uh, sensitive because of the fact that she worked on gang detail, uh, and she was having a hard time, you know, uh, getting in touch with all of the uh, information brokers and making sure that she was opted out. Uh, some some of these uh, information brokers do offer an opt out, others don't, um, and some the opt outs are just. Uh, Temporary, and you have to kind of keep on, keep on it, you know, mark your calendar and, and re-opt out a little bit later. Uh, a few, a couple of them have even charged money for opting out. I, I just did a, a check this morning. I don't think they're doing that anymore. Hopefully because, because, uh, of, of organizations like ours raising awareness of, of what I consider to be a terrible practice, um, charging money to opt out. Um, another woman said she had testified at a murder trial many years ago, and the individual was now getting out on parole and she didn't want to be found. Um, and then a, a, a rather common one, a victim of domestic uh, domestic violence. She's a survivor of domestic violence, and she needs to keep her home address private. And, and she and her attorney, but she actually had to hire an attorney to do this, contacted as many information brokers as as they could identify and they succeeded in getting opted out by all except one and there was one holdout who absolutely refused and said that uh, his company's First Amendment rights to post the information exceeded her right to personal safety, which, uh, you know, it's an argument that Hmm. that I just found um, uh, amazing. So those are some examples of the kinds of complaints that we get, and uh, as I said, we, we get these complaints on almost a daily basis. Interesting. So what, what do you think the solution is? Well, I, I believe that this industry needs to be regulated uh, very similar to the credit reporting industry. Um, individuals need a right of access uh... the right of accuracy uh... Um, right of correction of information i believe that everybody should have the right of opt-out and it's an opt-out that should uh... should be permanent um until one wants to reverse it Um also uh... i think that if there's an adverse action uh... made uh... about an individual um similar to the the credit reporting law that the individual should be notified as to the source of the information that uh, resulted in the uh, negative action, it's just in case you know that that information is incorrect, they can go in and get it corrected. For example, in in, in the credit reporting uh, law, which is the Fair Credit Reporting Act, um, there is an adverse action clause that uh, works in, in in employment background checks, for example. So, if there is an erroneous criminal records check that resulted in you not getting that job. Supposedly, anyway, you're supposed to be notified of that and given the chance to, to uh, correct the information with the employer and, and the employment background check company and to be reconsidered. Um, so those are some things that I would, I would like to see in, in, a, in a law uh,
2: okay. that
3: regulates the information broker industry.
2: Okay. Well, let's take a break. Um, you're listening to Beth Givens, Director and Founder of Privacy Rights Clearinghouse. We'll be right back after a brief break.
1: NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on PI's Declassified.
4: If you hear a dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you are listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkgaard, every Wednesday at 3 Pacific. in real estate, stocks, annuities, and other investment vehicles. That's the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman on the Voice America Business Channel every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time.
1: Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com.
2: We've been talking about privacy versus online data providers with privacy expert and advocate Beth Givens. Now let me introduce you to Rebecca Roberts. Rebecca is the National Marketing Director of IRB Search, an online data provider. Information provided through access to IRB Search is proprietary and is governed by state and federal legislation, laws protecting consumer privacy rights and governing the legitimate use of the services. Rebecca teaches classes covering state and federal legislation for online database searching, best search practices, and security issues private investigators should know and understand. Rebecca has a bachelor's in interdi- I can't even say this interdisciplinary, interdisciplinary. science <laughs> and a master's in science in American Florida studies from Florida State University. Rebecca's background includes more than 20 years' experience in media and communications where she created original programming for regional cable networks and brought the shows to award-winning status through effective promotions. Rebecca,
5: what does IRB Search stand for? Well, it used to stand for uh, International Research Bureau when we had the days of actually going back to paper document retrieval. And since 2001, IRB Search is just now known as, as IRB Search. Uh, but we are, and thank you for having me, Francie, and for hosting the show. I, I appreciate the opportunity to, to talk. Uh, I cannot speak for other data providers, but I certainly can speak for IRB Search. And we specifically cater the online information for the investigative professions. Mm-hmm. And we have one of the most thorough vetting processes uh, in the industry, and you you do want this information available if you have private investigators that say need to locate a witness or um, beneficiaries. I mean, there's business fraud, um, skip tracing, missing and locate uh, missing and locating people. Uh, we also cater to bail agents, so there's there's some different investigative industries that we cater to, and if the state provides a PI license, say, for example, California, Mm -hmm. then you must have a license to use our product, you know, to even have access to the product. Then we're doing criminal background checks. We're asking for photo IDs and liability insurance. And... Of you know, on, the, on, the, on one hand, it can be really good. On the, on the other hand, from, from an IRB search side, you know, we hear from our customers that, you know, it, it's, it's difficult. But we're policing ourselves and doing all this background search on them before they can even sign up for us. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, so, you know, some other things that, uh, you know, that, that Beth had talked about, too, and, and that you had mentioned, there are different tiers of data providers. I think maybe you were looking at it or Beth was looking at it as free versus fee based and and some other aspects, but I look at it as that there's some that are just available to any consumer, no matter Mm -hmm. what. That, These are the ones that anybody can, can go online and, and, and
2: use your credit card and get information.
5: Right, right. It, it's uh-huh. there for anybody, and I mean, you can pay up to forty and fifty dollars and really get not that much information, but it's still promoting that you can get some, and it, it will, uh, it will cross-reference some information. Mm-hmm. Now, for the for the data providers like uh, IRB Search that adhere to the Graham-Leach-Bliley Act, that the GLBA, the Drivers' Privacy Protection Act, or the DPPA. Uh, we, we adhere to those state and federal laws, and it's very specific on our application, what it may and may not be used for. Uh, we are not a credit reporting agency. We, we may not be used for employment background checks. Mm-hmm. Um, and then... We also, we encrypt all our data. And another thing that, again, both are liabilities and assets to this, but we truncate all of our Social Security numbers. Okay. Know, and that's the one thing I hear from the private investigation uh, professionals all the time. is like, come on, you know, we we they need those full SSNs to, to locate witnesses, to prevent business fraud, to look up someone. And here's a thought, too. If a private investigator who needs the information and has to look up a case, you know, maybe they should make sure they have a legitimate reason to do that search in the process or in, in the beginning, and they want to make sure that their client is who they say they are. And that would be another reason to use the database. They're checking to make sure the person who's hiring them has the, the rights to use it also and that they are sure. who they say they are. So the databases are helping and assisting in that. Great. And and can you, and frankly, back up one a second,
2: Rebecca. Excuse me. Uh, would
5: you explain what the GLB,
2: the Gramm-Leach-Bliley Act, is? Uh, many of our listeners may not be familiar with that
5: term. Uh, the Gramm-Leach-Bliley Act essentially talks about uh, giving out financial data, and you know w- there are certain reasons you can have it, and you have to specifically be researching fraud or motor vehicle repossession or y- you are using it for a specific pers- uh, purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, the Gramm-Leach-Bliley Act, in, a, in a just one short sentence, it deals with financial data. Okay. okay. And the Driver's Privacy Protection Act is sort of self-explanatory, but the interesting thing there is that the DPPA was actually enacted state by state. I think I think it passed in 1994, 95, but then it had a few years to actually take effect, but then it came on state by state. So different state laws govern different private investigators' use of that data in every state. Right, right. And so how do you respond to
2: uh, the choice point breach that Beth was referring to?
5: Well, again, I, I can't speak for ChoicePoint uh, and what what they did or their practices, I know that at IRB Search, I mean, we are being proactive in what we do and how we police ourselves and thoroughly vet all the customers. Uh, you know, I travel all over the country trying to communicate and teach and educate what the databases do offer, how to use them, why they are needed. Uh, So we have a very uh, thorough vetting process and there's a very specific reason why someone should use us. Mm
2: -hmm.
5: And, and you're, (laughs) I'm sure you get a lot of
2: uh, complaints from private investigators who are having their background looked into as well.
5: And, you know, absolutely. What's what's sort of it's sort of funny because on our application, uh, the private investigators who want access to this information, uh, they'll be some of the first ones that are like, well, I don't I don't know if I want to give you all this information. <laughs> you know, but we have privacy rights for all of our customers too. Right. not not just the the billions of records that we have access to but obviously for our customers and we you know we obfuscate credit card numbers we have a, a internal encryption we you know there's there's a high level of an extremely high level of security uh, both internally and externally for IRB search you can't have another person access your account that's another thing we teach. The, the person who's using our database, they are liable for how that's used. We're just proactive in truncating the Social Security number. So if anything does happen, you know, that, that's one safety that's already in there. Would you explain what truncation means? I'm sorry. Uh, truncation means that we cross out the last four numbers of a Social Security number. You know, which which is the the one number that a lot of the legal uh, investigators and forensic investigators, they they, they need that number. Mm-hmm. That's you know, the they, unique They, they identifier want that, that to find information, but we are being already proactive in crossing out those last four numbers uh, for security reasons and safety reasons.
2: Right, that last four digits is the unique identifier that goes with right. our social security number. And,
5: you know, if I can get another point in here, I mean, it's, it's very, very hard for anybody in the United States to live without data on themselves. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're, if you're using, you're, you're using a credit card, you're signing up for voluntary organizations or associations or, you know, some of the things that you do, and especially with social networking, I mean, people are making a choice to do that. So we do live in a democracy where you make certain choices and you agree to have some of this information public, um, you know, does there need to be a, a vetting process and a right to have information? Yes, and, and I say that IRB Search has that in place. Um, but it's very hard to live without having any information out there on yourself. You'd, you'd have to live a very uh, maybe aesthetic or you know, non-functional lifestyle not to have that information on you, and there is a need to have it. And private investigators know that. And what do you think about the regulation of data providers? I think, that, I think that we are doing a good job of policing ourselves for the tier that IRB search is at. You know, we are not allowing the general public to access this information. And the majority of it is public information. We've just... Uh, put all this data in one place for the private investigators to do their job a little bit better, easier, and faster. Well, one might
2: say, Rebecca, that IRB is doing a great job and your IRB is protecting the data and you said it was encrypted and you're making sure that you know your subscribers. Um, But what about the people that are selling data for the use of a credit card and not knowing who their subscriber is or the person they're giving the data? How do you feel about them being regulated?
5: Well, again, it's, it's hard for me to speak for a business that I don't represent. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I do go around the country and I teach and train people, I always educate them and communicate that there is a difference, that there is a difference between the the information that's available to just anybody versus the information that is uh, on a much higher security level to even have access to, so I think there is a difference. Well, I often hear
2: complaints from people that have gone online um, with the use of their credit card to get information um, maybe about a high school classmate or a lost lover or somebody like that, and come back and say that you know they paid all this money and they really didn't get any information after all
5: Well, and that's a, a lot of the quote free databases sort of all go back to one or two of the same places. And they really give you maybe one free search as a teaser, but then you really have to pay quite a lot of money to get very little information. And uh, again, speaking just for IRB search, I mean, that, that, is, that is not our practice. And, uh, you know, the ones that are just available to anybody Um, They're set up a little bit differently. Okay. Thanks, Rebecca. Would you
2: like to know more about online data providers and privacy? Stay tuned. We will be right back.
1: The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on PI's Declassified.
0: IRB Search is simply the best online data provider for locating people, businesses and assets. IRB Search gives you strength in numbers. With one click, you can access billions of records. Even with partial information on your subject, IRB Search instantly returns current and past addresses, phone numbers, and more. Call IRB Search today at 1-800-447-2112 to sign up. Mention PI's Declassified and you'll receive a two-week trial of 100 free searches to get started. Call 1-800-447-2112 to find out why IRB Search is simply the best. Step into the doorway to conscious choice, greater health and well-being. Attain the balance that you've been seeking. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Feed the mind. Embrace positively. Release the tension. Step out of fear. Host Simran Singh will help you broaden your mind and open your heart toward a greater understanding of how to take charge of your life. 1111 Talk Radio is here every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network, 1111 Talk Radio, because shift happens.
1: News, News. opinion, News. your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787, 1-866-472-5787, voiceamerica.com Now, here's Francie Taylor.
2: I've been speaking with Rebecca Roberts, the National Marketing Director of IRB Search, an online data provider about privacy. Joining in on the discussion now is Jimmy Messis. Jimmy learned his skills on the streets of New York City as a private investigator over 30 years ago following his service as a U.S. Marine Corps military translator. Jimmy and his wife, Rosemarie own and publish PI Magazine, a trade magazine for private investigators. He's been featured on History uh, Channel TV show Operation Reunion where he located and reunited soldier, soldiers who served together in Korea and Vietnam. He's also been a guest on FX TV, PI and CNN's Larry King Live. Jimmy's a recipient of numerous awards, past president of the New Jersey Private Investigator Association and currently is a director and legislative chair for the National Council of Investigation Security Services, a 35-year-old association founded to engage with Congress and governmental agencies regarding the interests of private investigators and security professionals. Jimmy, give us your thoughts. Does there need to be a balance?
6: Well, obviously there does. Uh, th- first, thank you for having me on the show. It's a pleasure to be a guest here and, and to talk about this topic because it's very, very important where you balance the availability uh, and disclosure of public record information. Mm-hmm. PIs have, since the Internet has uh, been out, have been taking advantage of database availability, public record availability, and now the concern that PIs have is that there are some um, data providers that are just selling information to anyone Sure. And our concern is is that legislation will be introduced to restrict that information, and it could then perhaps have a uh, overflow into other data providers that are currently doing a great job vetting their customers uh, and making sure that they actually are private investigators
2: Mhm right
6: Now there are approximately sixty thousand private investigators in the United States in all but five states um, offer licensing colorado idaho Mississippi. Uh, South Dakota and Wyoming, do not offer licensing. Um, however, to, to get access from those states, as Rebecca mentioned earlier, they really have to jump through a lot more hoops to be able to be vetted to get access to information from the major data providers. Mm-hmm. So I think the concern here is, as Beth mentioned earlier, there are several types of data providers. And the concern that uh, I have as an investigator would be that some of these uh, data providers that are just selling information to anybody with a credit card, that someone's going to use that information one day if they haven't already done so, and someone's going to get hurt or killed. Sure. And then all of a sudden there's going to be re- legislation that's just going to restrict all display and uh, availability of uh, information. So well, as the legislative chairman for NCISS, what we have to do is – Monitor what's happening in Washington D.C. and all the different bills that are out there, and what ended up happening was with identity theft. All of a sudden, that became the, the catchword in Washington D.C., where people were complaining that um, because of the availability of information, that we have to restrict the usage or the availability of social security numbers. And there have been numerous bills that have been introduced over the last several years, and some of them get very close to passing, but. Uh, there's been a lot of lobbying efforts where have prevented them from actually passing. But at the same time, I think what ends up happening is the title of a bill, for example, uh, any type of a bill where it says protect identity or protect child abuse, uh, someone's going to say, well, how could you vote against that? But when Mm -hmm. you actually read the inside of the bill, the restrictions of it, it's like a double-edged sword. You can have a bill that protects uh, people's quote-unquote identity, but then if you remove that access to certain information, investigators like us won't be able to investigate the case to identify who actually are committing the, the identity theft situation, sure. because most law enforcement don't check it.
2: Well, another I, mean, I think another factor, too, Jimmy, is our information, and we've talked about this a little bit, but our information is really already out there, and it's not only out in the United States, it's out there worldwide. I mean... A lot of the people that breach data aren't even from within the United States. As Beth mentioned, it was a Nigerian group right. that breached ChoicePoint. We've well, heard of other groups from other countries, gang mobster types, that use these sources and to, to gain information to, about people. So it's
6: already out there. It, 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 always, it has been out there. What's interesting is that the Internet... Uh, and its amazing ability to display information within seconds, uh, within a click, has made the public more aware of the tremendous amount of public record information that actually exists. But before the Internet, PIs such as myself, we used to have to go to courthouses to get all this information. We were getting the same exact information. It's just that we had to uh, actually go there in person to get it, and now the Internet is just making it so much easier for people to see it. My concern is is that there are... Uh, data aggregators that are out there that are just selling information to anyone with a credit card and they're giving out a tremendous amount of information and making it very easy for, uh, the 21st century high tech criminals to perhaps do something with that information. So these are things that really concern us as investigators that legislation could end up taking away the tools that we're currently using right now.
2: Mm -hmm. Well, we have uh, a question from one of our listeners. And the question is this, how can I, as a consumer, be assured that the private investigators who are allowed access to certain kinds of private information understand the laws that govern the release of that information? Um, And goes on to say, do they have to take a course, pass an exam, and what about that process? How does it work?
6: Well, many private investigators, and a majority of them at one time or another, have belonged to either a state association, a PI association, or a national PI association. And at all of these events, uh, they're brought up to speed as to the latest uh, legislation and laws such as uh, the Graham-Leach-Bliley Act uh, and mm-hmm. other laws that pertain to information. So most investigators are aware of it, as well as the different groups that investigators belong to on the Internet, where they're able to see um, information that has just become available. And NCISS has been a, uh, a main supplier of information for the last 35 years, where we monitor Legislation that's introduced in Washington D.C., and then we make an effort to disseminate that information to state associations, that disseminate it to their uh, to their members.
2: Laws so, like the gram leach bliley Law that was being discussed earlier,
6: correct. And and, and investigators learn of these laws, and then they learn how to make sure that they abide by them. In addition to that, the different data providers, when you sign up or when you go to do a search they give you the criteria that you have to actually select. And uh, Rebecca mentioned these earlier, where you have to pick a permissible purpose. And this also reminds the investigator that, hey, unless I have a permissible purpose, I don't have access, the right to have access to certain information. Mm
2: -hmm. You know, Rebecca also made a good point about uh, just like IRB Search makes an immense effort to know their subscribers, private investigators should do the same knowing their clients.
6: Exactly, and many of the state associations, what they 've actually introduced is their own code of ethics or their own in their own mission statements to make sure that you also know your your customer and In fact, it was interesting. I had a call uh, earlier today for someone that was looking for information, and the manner in which the call handled made me very suspicious as to what they were actually looking for and what they were going to do with the information mm-hmm. so and private investigators have to also use some common sense as to who they're dealing with and why they're giving out certain information.
2: Well, and uh I believe the NCISS and that's the National Council of uh, Investigation Security Services has actually a policy uh stated policy that says if you are um, locating someone for instance for a birth family, a birth parent or looking for an adopted child that that personal information isn't given out, unless I'm losing my voice here, unless permission is given.
6: Yeah. Uh, I I think NCISS and and professional investigators have all discussed that online data brokers should not um, actually sell Social Security numbers and IRB truncates their Social uh, Security numbers Mm to uh, protect their customers. But there are other databases uh, providers that do not truncate the social security numbers, but they actually have created also a vetting process to ensure that all of their customers have a, a reasonable uh, right to access that information. They're licensed PIs, and they've proven that they're licensed and that they're legitimate businesses. That was the biggest problem with the HP uh, with the ChoicePoint incident, where. There was non-legitimate individuals that had gained access to the information. That's what created the whole vetting process. So it's become much more difficult for PIs to get information. It's not, the consumer should not think that uh, it's really easy for PIs to get info. They actually, actually have to get vetted.
2: So if somebody uh, wants their data removed from a list, I guess this, this is a question for you, but uh, maybe Rebecca could also chime in and answer it too. Um, what do you think about that?
6: Well, I think that information that's inaccurate uh, is always good to be removed because we as investigators want to have accurate information. Sure. I guess the problem is is who's going to do the investigating to determine whether or not information that's being displayed actually is inaccurate? Who's going to actually go through those steps to prove it? And I guess that's where Rebecca come in and answer that.
5: Well, and you have to, I think it would help to realize that some of the records, let's say, for example, a motor vehicle registration record. Now, if when you went to register your car, uh, they typed my name in, and, and I've searched myself before, they, they typed my first name as Rebecca instead of Rebecca. Okay. It's a small mistake, but it's a mistake. Uh huh. So somebody hit the wrong button when they typed my name in. Now, for me to get that changed, you'd think, oh, I can go change that on IRB. No. I'd actually have to go back to the motor vehicle registration office and get them to change it. Mm-hmm. So I have to go back to the point of origin. So on, on some of the opt-outs, here's another thought for consideration is that if somebody's opting out, you don't want identi- identity theft in that aspect either. If uh, Bob Smith wants to opt out of something I need to make sure, someone needs to make sure that's the Bob Smith that really belongs to that address and phone number. Sure. You know, I I don't want somebody else canceling my credit card for me. I don't want somebody else doing that for me. I don't want somebody else opting out for me either.
2: That's true. That's true. Okay, we're going to take one last commercial break. Back in a few.
1: NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on PI's Declassified.
0: Listen to The Stars of PR with Cindy R. every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time here on News Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com.
4: Stay at 8 a.m. Pacific for the Dr. Pat Show with Dr. Pat Basile, Radio to thrive by. Talk, talk, talk. That's
1: all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. one 472 5787 That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com.
2: We're continuing our discussion with Beth Givens, Rebecca Roberts, and Jimmy Messis on privacy and online data providers. Uh, Jimmy, I think you had a couple more things that you'd like to offer.
6: Well, I I think uh, the title of the show is The Balancing of Privacy and Information, and I do believe that there needs to be a balance between what information is out there and who has access to it. Uh, Again, private investigators being licensed have already gone through our vetting process, and then in addition to that, having an account with one of the major data providers, we have had to vet ourselves again. So when we have a, a need to get access to certain information, uh, it's for legitimate purposes, and we have to worry about losing our own license if we misuse that information. So I do feel that there is a way that we can do balancing of the availability of information. Our concern is going to be those rogue data providers that are just trying to sell information and make money. And oftentimes there's actually no one to even communicate with. It's strictly an online service, and that's something that concerns the profession.
2: Okay. And we have a question from a listener, and this is a combined question. Has anyone anyone ever been charged and convicted of violating Privacy Act X, and what can the consumer do if a provider has totally wrong information? Can the consumer sue the provider? Uh, Beth, can you answer that question?
3: Well, yeah, it, Francia, in your introduction, you you said it's complicated, and I think that's probably a good way to, to respond to this. Um, one of the problems with suing for, say, inaccurate information is proving harm. And I know that, that that's a problem, say, over in the identity theft side, uh, and Jimmy mentioned a little bit about identity theft, but um, showing harm, at least under the laws in the U.S., the privacy laws in the U.S., is actually quite difficult. Um there have been some rather famous identity theft cases where people, if you would read the case, you'd say, yeah, they've been harmed. But uh, in the end, they, they got their money back. So were they harmed? Well, mm-hmm. uh, that, the same holds here. Uh, you've got to show harm. There is a case that uh, I'm sure you all know about. It's the, um, the, the Amy Boyer case. It goes way back to 1999, the DocuSearch uh, information broker in New Hampshire. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that was a case where um, the family did sue for, Wrongful death, uh, Amy Boyer was stalked. Uh, DocuSearch, uh, engaged in pretexting to get information about, uh, her location and, uh, and, feel free to correct me if I don't have the facts right, but I, I think I do. And, and, and the, the, the man who'd been stalking her then, uh, murdered her. And they did, uh, file suit and they, they did, um, uh, uh they they did have a judgment in their favor um by the New Hampshire Supreme Court in that one so you can sue um of course that's the ultimate harm was was loss loss of life and it was a tragic case mm-hmm. um but uh i'm i'm sure that you know there are a, a lot of uh, information brokers learned from that that case and uh, i'm glad that rebecca brought up vetting i wanted to just add uh since we talked about choice point early on um rebecca's brought up their their standards for vetting and 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 the use of encryption and, and 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 other protections. I think that's so important. It should be mentioned that ChoicePoint, which is now LexisNexis, has undergone a significant uh, uh, change and improvement to its business model since since the breach, and has really done quite a turnaround.
2: I yes, I've heard that as well. Good, very good point. Um, so we're. Coming down to the end of our program, we've got a few minutes left.
5: Um, I I would just like to to add, if I could, Francie, I I would just like to add that sometimes the less than best practices of one or two companies all of a sudden, you know, affect the many. And I think that's what private investigators are saying, or, or, or I hear our customers saying is that, you know, we understand that not everybody needs this but they do that the investigation professions do need it and actually if you go back and look in the Graham Leach Bliley Act uh, wording if you go back and look in that the text of that act it says there are specific exceptions to the GLBA, and I am 99% sure it specifically mentions private investigators, Mm -hmm. that they can have access to this data when necessary by specific purpose. And, uh, you know, as we've talked about, you have to check it, whether it's insurance fraud or motor vehicle theft or business
6: fraud, whatever it is.
5: Um, But, you know, there there can be a balance, but realize that there are different tiers and different levels of, of data providers.
6: To, to the benefit of the profession also, with almost 60,000 PIs out there, we're not the problem. Uh, private investigators aren't the problem. The problem is uh, rogue database providers that just sell information to anybody, and that could be a problem, and it'll affect us later on on the back end if we're restricted, and we won't have access to that information anymore.
2: Well, and certainly, I and Beth brought up a, a poignant case and a horrible death of Amy Boyer, and that was such a sad situation, but there is a, a perfect example of had the person that was getting the information known who they were dealing with, um, then Amy Boyer would still be alive. And that's that's a sad thing. But at the same time, I think we have to balance the isolated a- anecdotes about the misuse of data with all the benefits that we all actually uh, achieve through having the data available to us. So, again, there needs to be a balance.
6: I think so, and I think that the balance uh, has been working out quite well so far within our profession. Um, Social security number disclosure has been a big thing that the Congress has been talking about. Uh, My concern has always been, and I've always brought this up when I uh, provide a commentary at a presidential task force on identity theft, it's, to me, the authentication process that's out there is more important if someone was to find um, a credit card and they didn't know the pin number they can't use it if someone found a social security number and they didn't know the authentication code or a pin number they couldn't use it so to me i think there's a lot of simple ways that we can try to fix some of these problems of identity theft and information disclosure but the the, uh, consumers or should i say the lending institutions often can't be bothered to implement those because it might cost money
2: Thank you, Jimmy. Well, we have just one minute left. Um, I need to wrap up. Does anybody have anything they
3: are dying to say? Uh, This is Beth. Um, uh, I'm glad you used the word balance in in the title of the program. A couple of points just to sum up. I think um, in terms of private investigator access, a couple of uh, key issues are both permissible purpose and accountability, and I'm just so glad to hear that Rebecca and Jimmy seem to be on board with, with those principles as well. Thank you. I appreciate that.
2: Thank you, Jimmy, Rebecca, and Beth, for joining me today to discuss a topic that many people across the country have questions about. If you'd like to contact Beth Givens or the folks at Privacy Rights Clearinghouse, go to www.privacyrights.org or contact them in San Diego, California, at 619-298-3396. 619-298-3396. If you want to know more about online data providers, Go to IRB Search at http colon front slash front slash irbsearch, IRB, com or telephone, their toll-free number, 1-800-447-2112. I don't want to forget to mention our other sponsor, also a subscriber-based online data provider, and that's Merlin Information Services at Merlindata.com or call 1-800-367-6646. Or if you'd like to talk to Jimmy Masters about getting involved with legislation for private investigator security professionals or want to subscribe to PI Magazine, telephone him at 732-308-3800 or go to his website at www.pimagazine.com. If you want someone you know to listen to this show, this one and all prior shows are available 24 hours after the show airs are included in Voice America's archives by the month they were aired. If you're interested in being a sponsor or advertising on the show, contact Johnny Cabrera at 480-294-6406 at com. If you have a story or know of an interesting case involving a private investigator, please send me an email at at com. Tune in next week as we declassify more real stories from real investigators. Every Thursday morning, noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. It's PIs Declassified. I'm Francie Kaler. Thanks so much for listening.
1: You've been listening to PIs Declassified with your host, Francie Kaler.